Throughout this episode, you'll hear occasional dynamically placed advertisements as well as host-read ads by me promoting the work of my sponsors, similar to what you'd experience when you're binging your favorite YouTube content. If you find the ads disruptive, consider joining my community on Patreon. Premium submarines receive full-length ad-free episodes, hundreds of hours of bonus content, and the ability to connect and chat with other listeners. To learn more, visit patreon.com slash backfromtheborderline. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. All this focus focus is supposed to be scientific. Welcome to Back from the Borderline. Emotional alchemy in your pocket. I'm your host, Molly, and I don't want to talk to your personality, I want to talk to your soul. On this podcast, we'll dive together into our shadows and emerge transformed. The idea of alchemy is to reduce something with fire, burning it down so that something new can rise from the ashes. You can do this with your personality too. You can perform emotional alchemy. You've always had the power, you just didn't know that. And now you do. Here at Back From The Borderline, this is a place for you to unhook from your overextended life, to explore, understand, and integrate the darkest parts of your soul. And on this podcast, there is no finish line, no quick fix or cure. There is no outcome, only eternal unfolding. A warm welcome to new listeners and a big welcome back to returning listeners. Today, I'm really excited because we are going to be revisiting a topic that I get asked about more than any other topic. And it was a topic that I did my very first three podcast episodes ever on. And this is the concept of black and white thinking, all or nothing thinking, which is also known as splitting. 
Now, over the past few days, I've actually archived some of the OG Back from the Borderline episodes, and those are available now exclusively only for my patrons. Part of the reason being is because I have grown a lot and the way that I view mental health and psychological integration has changed a lot since I started the podcast back in 2021 and also new research has emerged and I'd like to revisit this concept and approach it with a fresh mindset and new resources. So let's get into it. We like to think that we are fluid flexible thinkers. But underneath all of this, we have another tendency, and that is to separate things into black and white options. And this is also known as dichotomous thinking. Dichotomous thinking is also known as black and white thinking, all or nothing thinking, or splitting. And splitting is a cognitive distortion that involves seeing things in extreme polarized terms. Dichotomous thinking is seeing things, situations, relationships, and experiences as either all good or all bad. When we're engaged in black and white thinking, we're not aware of the shades of gray in between. And the shades of gray also can be known as maybe the nuance, the paradox of things, right? Some things can be both at once. In spiritual circles, this is also known as non-duality. So when we're talking about splitting, our friends, family members, romantic partners, or even ourselves are seen as either amazing or horrible, lovable or completely hated, all good, all bad, right or wrong. Now, from an evolutionary standpoint, it makes sense to think about things in terms of black and white. For long-term listeners of the podcast, you know that a thing that I deeply believe is that our symptoms of various different mental health disorders that exist out there and that many of us are labeled with, symptoms are simply adaptive responses that served us at some point in our life, but they've usually become maladaptive. And these are the things that can contribute to keeping us stuck in self-destructive patterns of behavior. So let's talk about how from the evolutionary standpoint, as I mentioned a moment ago, how could seeing things in terms of black and white be adaptive? So if one extreme presents itself like a predator, it's logical to put as much space between you and the danger as possible to go the opposite direction. It makes sense for our ancestors to label a saber-toothed tiger as all bad, all dangerous, and the cave where you want to hide, where he can't reach you as completely safe. And in situations as rudimentary and basic as this, locations which are somewhat safe from the saber-toothed tiger is not very effective thinking, right? Saber-toothed tiger is all bad, all scary, all dangerous, and the cave that you retreat to must be 100% safe. But the problem here 
is that we're no longer living in an age where this kind of thinking is beneficial for us. It is no longer adaptive. Cognitive distortions like black and white thinking, where we view a very complex and nuanced world through this reductive lens of this or that, all or nothing, either or, can really harm our relationships. It can diminish our well-being, and even limit our overall understanding of the world. And in viewing a multifaceted and complex situation through this binary good or bad lens, it sets us up to miss essential details and also not even be able to see the true nature of reality. From a spiritual perspective, Black and white thinking is also incredibly common in high controlling and spiritually abusive religious spaces and churches. So for example, you're either right or wrong, you're either sinning or you're not in sin, you made the right decision or the wrong decision. And these types of legalistic church leaders will preach that it is wrong to be in the gray areas or in the lukewarm, nuanced areas. You're either a sinner or you're not. When we're thinking in black and white terms, we'll have the tendency to look at things in extremes. Someone is either fat or thin. We're either failures or we're winners. A person is either good or bad. Something either always happens or it never happens. So if you can see from this description, right, there is no gray, there's no middle of the road, there's no average. And it's important to understand that our life mainly takes place in the gray area between the extremes. You're never a total failure, but you also never usually get everything right. Your partner is not a completely selfish asshole, but they're also not a complete angel who always gets everything perfectly right. And our lives, even though we would like them to be, they're never perfect, but at the same time, everything is not all bad. It's easier for us to think in terms of categories, good or bad, intelligent or stupid, success or failure, fat or thin always or never, everything or nothing. But these extremes don't describe reality. The reality is actually in the vast majority of cases, somewhere in between. People are not 100% good or 100% bad. Even the greatest tyrants in the world have had their good sides and they treat certain people with love and respect. And in the same way, Every seemingly good person has a dark side. It's not often easy to accept that our life takes place between these extremes. We have a desire for things to be simple. We want clarity. We want to just be able to make things easy and see things as either good or bad, right or wrong, happy or unhappy. It's just easier that way. Black and white thinking or splitting is ultimately our mind's attempt to simplify an incredibly complex world. There are a variety 
of mental health conditions in the DSM that are associated with splitting or black and white thinking. And these conditions are borderline personality disorder or emotionally unstable personality disorder as it's referred to in the EU and UK, substance abuse and addiction, depression, autism, eating disorders, ADHD, anxiety, OCD, and then other trauma-related disorders like CPTSD. And again, for those of you who are long-term listeners, you know that I have a long and complicated relationship with psychiatric diagnostic labels. I think that many of them can be highly stigmatizing, and I don't think it's helpful to view ourselves through the lens of disorder or dysfunction, but learn to understand ourselves as complex nuanced human beings that need to dive into the shadows of ourselves that need to understand maybe the symptoms that developed as an adaptation to the environment and societies that we were raised in so that we can unlearn these behaviors that are not good or bad and ways of thinking that are not good or bad but just the way it is we recognize that they're not helping us achieve closeness, intimacy, understanding, and a deeper connection with ourselves, other people, and the world around us, and understand that we have the power to grow and change. So let's talk a little bit about how splitting plays out. When we're splitting, the object of our affection, or the thing that we're thinking about in that moment, is either all good or bad, there's no in-between, and This is what causes the idealization and devaluation phenomenon that is common in personality disorder diagnosis type discourse. And believe it or not, this idealization and devaluation cycle begins early in our lives as a defense mechanism against painful circumstances in our childhoods, whether that be emotional neglect, physical neglect, or other types of trauma and abuse. So what I'm saying here is that splitting or this black and white all or nothing thinking is an adaptive response. It's actually our childhood brains and psyches responding to the environments we were raised in in a adaptive way to keep us alive, to help us understand and make sense of really complex and maybe traumatizing environments. So splitting is a psychological mechanism that allows us to tolerate difficult and overwhelming emotions by seeing someone as either all good or all bad, idealized or devalued completely. And as I mentioned before, this makes it easier for us to manage the emotions that we're feeling, which on the surface seem to be contradictory. When we are young, we have a very hard time holding contradictory thoughts. Our brains have just not developed to a point to understand that when we're very young. We either have to love our parent or hate our parent. This is something that we develop out of As children, if we are in environments that nurture us in a way that 
helps us move through the proper developmental phases. But the issue is, is that many of us have what is known as arrested development, where we're not able to move through these phases. And that means many of us don't grow out of this type of black and white thinking. And this is how an adaptive behavior can become maladaptive and set us up for suffering later in life. So we all engage in splitting to some degree. We tend to view people as good or bad depending on how they treat us or how they treat the people we love. In relationships, black and white or all or nothing thinking is what causes us to toss the baby out with the bathwater. I don't know if you've ever heard that phrase. We may not recognize that bad behavior doesn't make the person himself bad, right? Bad behavior, someone doing something quote-unquote bad, doesn't mean that the person who is doing the behavior is all bad. They just did a bad thing, right? But many of us in society will label someone as complete trash if they make one misstep. But then at the same time, if we make a mistake, we want forgiveness ourselves. So everybody engages in behavior that they might not be proud of. People do or say things when they're upset or dysregulated that they wish they hadn't done. All of us have done this. This doesn't make us bad people. We can all lose our temper. We can all shut down not be perfectly honest, or blame other people. This is part of being human. From a psychology perspective, splitting was very first described by Ronald Fairburn in his formulation of what's known as the object relations theory. The object relations theory is a psychological theory that explores how our relationships with other people, particularly in childhood, shape our personality and behavior. According to the object relations theory, these early relationships we have with our caregivers, especially our mothers, shape how we view ourselves, other people, and the world around us, and that these early relationships provide our entire foundation for the rest of our adult lives of how we will view our sense of self, our ability to regulate our emotions, and our ability to form healthy relationships as adults. So object relations theorists believe that our internalized images of our caregivers or what they call object representations continue to influence our behavior and our relationships. And so, for example, an object relations theorist would believe that if we had a distant or critical mother, we might struggle to form close relationships with other people when we are adults. And the object relations theory also explores how our early experiences with our caregivers shape our unconscious fantasies, our desires, and fears. So for example, if we felt neglected as children, we might have an unconscious fear of being abandoned as an adult. So when we're thinking about splitting or black and white thinking... According to object relations theory, if as children we experienced inconsistent or unpredictable parenting, we could develop splitting as a defense mechanism, as a way to cope with the confusing and overwhelming nature of our experiences. So, for example, if as a child we experienced both affection 
and neglect from our mother, we might split our mother into a completely loving, nurturing figure and also a completely cold, rejecting figure rather than learning to recognize that our mother is a complex, multifaceted person capable of both good and bad. So the issue arises here because splitting then becomes a habitual way of thinking and as it persists into adulthood, this can look like when we have a history of inconsistent parenting, we might struggle to see people or situations in shades of gray, which leads to these extreme polarized thinking patterns like he either loves me or he hates me. As children, we depend on our parents and need to love them. Our love for our parents is what helps us survive as children. And so our tendency is to split off from the abusive, neglectful parts of our parents, even if they weren't conscious of what they were doing, and then focus on what we love about them. So as I mentioned before, this is a survival mechanism, and it might serve us as young children, but it doesn't serve us as adults. And unfortunately, all dysfunction in our adulthood comes from getting stuck in childhood patterns and then bringing them up with us into our adult relationship dynamics. Splitting and black and white thinking comes with us into these adult relationships because we never learned how to take the good with the bad and find the shades of gray. And instead of seeing a loved one as having made a mistake, we might see them as being the mistake. And the stronger that our tendency to have black and white or all or nothing thinking, the less accepting we are of the humanness in other people. We might expect perfection, or at the very least, we might expect that the people in our lives perfectly meet our needs. I just did an episode last week called Moving Through Control and Codependency to Get Your Needs Met in a Healthy Way. And if you're interested in diving into how to address unmet needs in your relationships, that is a fantastic episode for you to check out. The desire for a partner to perfectly meet our needs comes from unmet needs in our childhood. And these unmet needs follow us into adulthood, and then we project them onto people in our lives, especially our romantic partners, right? Because the people that we're closest to tend to get the worst of us sometimes. It's just the way that it is. And I know you can probably relate to that. So there can be a tendency to get really angry at your partner for not meeting your needs. And depending on our own level of dysfunction, We can split that partner into the unsatisfying love object that has somehow failed us. Now, for people on the other side of splitting behaviors, so for example, if you're splitting on your partner, it can happen really quickly and out of the blue, and our partners feel like the enemy or the bad guy, and they have no idea what they did. And it's not that they did anything wrong, 
but it's just that when we're splitting and triggered, it causes us to project something onto our romantic partners that doesn't actually belong to them. And it causes us to accuse them of doing things or saying things they maybe didn't do or say, and maybe just taking things all the way to the extreme. So for example, maybe a more extreme example, your partner might have had an affair and they cheated on you and it completely destroyed your trust and really, really hurt you. This is a real event. I have been cheated on a few times in my life, one of which being the time that I was cheated on three months after my wedding. It was devastating. So when these things happen, you're not creating these events in your mind. They really, really happened. And your partner may even admit that it happened or you saw proof, you know it's true. So as a result of your own pain, you might get really angry at your partner and even feel like you hate them. And you might see them as the enemy in your relationship and even attempt to convince other people that they're a terrible person for cheating on you. How many of us have done this, you know, rallied our friends around each other to really convince ourselves and other people that this person is just like enemy number one. Now, cheating doesn't make our partner a bad person, but the behavior is certainly bad. They betrayed our trust and the relationship might not be repairable. And our partner might even feel like they've made a mistake and ask for our forgiveness. And if we struggle with black and white thinking, you may not be able to forgive that person or move forward in the relationship because you now see them as a horrible cheater, which undermines any goodwill you've had in the relationship. Now, this doesn't mean that if we don't struggle with splitting that these types of people just would move on and repair the relationship and that that's always the right thing to do. Sometimes you feel like maybe the trust just can't be rebuilt and you'll decide to just cut your losses and move on with your life. That's what I did in the case of my failed marriage. I just decided that the trust was broken and it was not repairable. But in other situations, you may eventually see that your partner is not a completely bad person Maybe they just went through a period of feeling lost, disconnected, hurt, and confused, or whatever they may have been going through at the time. Sometimes people are incredibly wounded souls, and these wounds have led them to develop destructive coping mechanisms, and cheating and other behavior that hurts other people sometimes happens in these instances. It doesn't make the behavior okay, but developing and cultivating the ability to see people in this nuanced and complex way where we can hold two views at once, where this behavior is destructive and it maybe damaged a relationship, but the person could also be a good human being with a lot of positive traits who wants to work on these things and change and transform. It's essential that we have strong boundaries in what kind of behavior is acceptable to us and what is not acceptable. Those of us who struggle with splitting and demonizing other people, 
if we cultivate the ability to think in a more gray way and see the nuance, it can lead to a lot more balance in our lives. Imagine a set of scales. If all of the weight is on one side, that is just how I view splitting visually in my mind. What do we want when we see a set of scales? Just imagine, you know, those beautiful old school scales that are similar to the Libra symbol in astrology. You're always seeing those scales balanced, right? There's a bit of good, a bit of bad, and only with a little bit of both can we understand and really have true balance. Now, I want to address that, you know, some people can seem all bad. Most people do have good in them, but there are some people who can, because of just the amount of self-destructive and harmful behaviors that they are caught in, it can seem like they truly are incapable of loving other people and maybe even like they seem to get enjoyment in hurting other people. So it may, in certain scenarios, be appropriate to think of individuals like this as dangerous and maybe the types of people that you would like to avoid. And then Others may be simply wounded and traumatized as children and are people with good hearts, but they have some really unhealthy and destructive defense mechanisms. And we might be hurt by these defense mechanisms and choose to end our relationships with such people because they continue to be hurtful, but this doesn't make them bad people. Now, if you're anything like me, you may have been on both sides of this coin. I certainly know that I myself have likely been viewed as an all bad, destructive person to some of the people in my life who I'm no longer in contact with. When I was completely unconscious of some of my childhood wounds and the things that I was carrying around with me, I was not behaving in ways that I'm really proud of. And slowly but surely, as I became more conscious of these patterns and coping mechanisms, I kind of awoke to the pain that I might have caused other people in my life. And maybe you have felt the same. And so understanding this about myself has made it easier for me to find forgiveness in my heart for other people who have hurt me too. I wouldn't want someone to think about me as all bad just because I had a particularly self-destructive and sabotaging period of my life, maybe in my adolescence and 20s. I would want someone to give me the grace to be a new version of myself. And I encourage you, if you are thinking of someone in these terms, try to think about the grace that you wish that you would have if you had a period of time in your life where you maybe were just acting out your own trauma. When I look back on most of my relationships and I feel compassion for the pain some of these people have gone through that caused them to act out in destructive ways, I wouldn't necessarily go back or consider having these people in my life again in any significant way, but I've moved past the hatred, bitterness, and anger and views of just thinking of them as bad people. And instead, I choose to see them as deeply wounded people. And in these situations, it's helpful to remember that old saying of hurt people hurt people. When it comes to relationships and thinking back on my 
experience of having a relationship and marriage completely dissolve due to infidelity. In these types of situations, it can be really tempting to see things in extremes. So if like me at that time, you were coming out of a relationship where your heart is just completely broken. Many of us find ourselves saying things like, I'm never going to fall in love again. I'll never get involved with another person. Or I only fall in love with narcissists, right? This kind of stuff. Very common. These always or never statements can be black and white thinking or splitting, right? You always do this. You never do that. And these are often exaggerations when we actually look more deeply into things. So someone might engage in a certain behavior frequently, but that doesn't mean that they always do it. So if you find yourself saying, nobody really loves me, I never meet someone who loves me. This is not only black and white thinking, but this is catastrophic thinking. When we imagine the worst and believe it at our core to be true, this is catastrophic. It's not realistic. And this type of thinking leads us to say things like, I'll never lose weight. I'll never find love. I'll never find a good job. I always screw up those kinds of statements. All of us say these kinds of things a lot of the time. And the past doesn't equal the future unless you repeat the same patterns over and over. So if you want a different result in life, we have to do things differently. We use black and white thinking not only towards other people, but towards ourselves. We can see ourselves as either completely successful or a complete failure, lovable, unlovable, beautiful or ugly, happy or sad, good or bad, right or wrong, worthy, unworthy, you get the picture. It happens all the time. And how we see ourselves can fluctuate with our moods. A good example of this is maybe you have decided that you wanted to start going on walks every single day for your mental health. And you made a pact with yourself that you're going to do it every day. And maybe you have a streak where you do it for 15 days in a row. And then one day you are really maybe struggling with PMS or you just had a horrible day and you don't get out to go on your walk and you start thinking things like, see, I always mess everything up. I can never stick to anything. I suck at this, right? You don't look at the long extended period of time where you were walking every single day. You're just looking at the one day where you didn't do it. This is the kind of catastrophic thinking that sabotages our efforts at change, growth, and transformation. Seeing the shades of gray in this situation might involve saying to yourself, okay, you had a bit of a setback, but you've been doing really well and you can get right back on the horse and continue riding. This can help you learn not to interpret some kind of minor setback in these all or nothing terms. When we're perfectionists, we feel like we need to be perfect and doing everything perfectly. I myself struggle deeply with perfectionism. So anything short of perfection may cause this extreme thinking. It's really important that we are very conscious about not trying to force ourselves to be perfect, appear perfect, or seek out the perfect partner because no one is perfect. We are all human. We all have flaws. 
We all make mistakes. When we're engaged in this polarized thinking, we ourselves will idealize and devalue people. Think about how you felt about a person you had a crush on when you very first met, and then how you actually thought of that person when you were breaking up. Black and white thinking can cause us to devalue people and discard them rather than trying to resolve conflicts, come to a common agreement and see each other as complex, nuanced individuals made up of good and bad, adaptive and maladaptive traits. And this can really prevent us from seeing people as human beings with their own quirks, their moods, ups and downs, and accepting people for who they really are. Black and white thinking in my life has contributed to the destruction of relationships in various forms. We can walk off jobs, fire people, break up with someone, leave a community, or make other really impulsive decisions because we've devalued a person or a situation when we were feeling hurt or down and maybe not thinking clearly. When we recover ourselves and we're feeling better again, We might regret this impulsive behavior and suffer what I call intense shame spirals. When we're thinking of a spectrum of color, black is on one end and white's on the other. But as we mentioned before, life happens in the middle. And even though we talk about the shades of gray between black and white, It can be helpful to see the place between black and white as being where all the color is. Life is colorful. It's filled with variety and nuance. It's not perfect or imperfect. It's beautifully messy. We all have many different emotions, feelings, moods, experiences, ups, downs, problems, victories, fears, failures, successes, and gains and losses. This is why some of the most beautiful stories are so gorgeous, myths and legends. They're full of ups and downs and all the color in between. Once you start being conscious of how much black and white thinking and splitting rules your life and you start growing past it and practicing metacognition, which is like thinking about thinking, the thing is most of us are just emotionally reacting from a knee-jerk place all day long. But when you start thinking about why you do the things you do, becoming conscious of how some of these repetitive patterns and ways of being and thinking are holding you back, you'll start to see that it can become very difficult to label something as either right or wrong. You might start to look at people who hold extremely polarized views and opinions and start to see how disordered and dysfunctional this is. There are just so many variables. We can't judge a person or situation without having all the information. And even when we do have a lot of information, who are we to judge? We haven't walked a mile in that person's shoes or known what they're actually really going through. We can't know what it's like to struggle with the things that they've been through because we have never been in their life going through what they're going through. And look, there are things in life that we feel are not right. 
they're just not okay in a human sense. And we can all agree on some of those things. Some of the things that come to mind are like racism, pedophilia, slavery, and things like that. But most things are completely dependent on our perspective. I want to take this a little bit deeper so that we can really explore the depth psychology analysis of splitting and black and white thinking. In our modern era, the ability to see the shades of gray or the shades of color, to perceive nuance, ambiguity, and what's also known as paradox is actually considered the height of cognitive functioning. What I mean by that, if you are a human being that has really strongly developed critical thinking, who has the ability to stop themselves consciously when they are feeling the tendency to split into black and white, but instead chooses to see the nuance and shades of gray, that goes to show that you are a highly cognitively advanced human being. And we all can't aim to be perfect with this, but it is one of the most important and life-changing things that you can do in your recovery to start unpacking your tendency towards black and white thinking and develop the ability to think critically. Many spiritual teachers, healers, and even people at the heights of academia in psychology and human behavior have the belief that finding balance between seemingly contradictory elements is the road to deep and lasting inner peace. Just the other week, I did an episode for my premium subscribers, shout out to my premium submarines, and we talked about the concept of holding the tension of the opposites, which was a concept that was explored by one of my favorite Jungian analysts and depth psychologist, Marion Woodman. And she describes the importance of learning to hold two opposing beliefs. Our human language itself promotes black and white thinking. So you shouldn't be too hard on yourself because quite frankly, it's very easy to slip into this. For example, difficult and easy define each other. Like what would the word calm mean if we didn't have anxious and up is what makes down make sense. And even the simplest, most everyday question, like, how are you? It pressures us to pick a side. Are we feeling good or bad? Which Black and white thinking or splitting is also sometimes known as a false dilemma or a false dichotomy. And in this situation, it's where only two alternatives are considered when in fact there are additional options. False dichotomies are often presented intentionally by governments or other organizations to manipulate a perspective or groups of people, right? Think about sayings like you're either with us or you're against us. And false dichotomies can also be unconscious or unintentional due to assumptions. Saying things like, he wouldn't do that if he loved me. I think we've all been there. And whether it's conscious or unconscious, false dichotomy, splitting type of behaviors is making 
a very complex matter oversimplified. The social systems that we're all involved with every day reinforce this kind of splitting or black and white and polarized thinking. That's why it is harder than ever to practice critical thinking or overcome your splitting tendencies. Because for example, in the climate that we're in now, if you want to identify with a political party of any influence in the United States, for example, you've got two choices. You can either identify as belonging to a party that is pro-peace, pro-gay, pro-tax, pro-regulation, pro-choice, and anti-gun, or pro-military, anti-gay, anti-tax, pro-free market, pro-life, and pro-gun. But what if you are a pro-gay, pro-free market, anti-tax, pro-life, pro-peace, and pro-gun? Well, too bad, because you have to pick a side or your vote has no power. So this type of cultural splitting encourages people to think in unnecessarily polarized terms. A French philosopher named Jacques Derrida agreed that binary oppositions like this that I've just described marks what he called a violent hierarchy where one of two terms governs the other. So in this way, he believed that binary language like this that we just described is actually linked with oppression. Psychology writer Stephen Handel once said, black and white thinking doesn't just hurt ourselves, but also the relationships we try to build with other people. When we view the world in strict and oversimplistic terms, we're less likely to compromise and cooperate with other people to meet common interests. This is why we see the inability to cooperate and work together even in our government here in the United States. It is so polarized. So with black and white thinking, we convince ourselves that we're never going to be everything we want to be. We're always going to be lacking something if we're trying to measure ourselves on some black and white scale where X is good and Y is not good. And the reason for this is because we're never going to be completely X. It doesn't happen because we're human, we're unfinished, and we are not simple creatures. Stephen Handel also said that a black and white viewpoint often creates artificial needs in our life that lead to disappointment and depression. Another cognitive-based psychotherapist, Albert Ellis, called one example of this masturbation, which I think is like the funniest word that I've ever heard. So according to Ellis, masturbation is our tendency to think that we must have something or we must do something or life must be a certain way or maybe a partner must show affection in a certain way, or it's all awful. Stephen Handel wrote, Black and white thinking doesn't open us up to the possibility that even if life doesn't work out exactly the way we think it should, we can still find happiness. Depolarizing the mind, or learning to see the gray areas, frees us to perceive war and peace anger and compassion, freedom and responsibility, and even duality and non-duality as partners, and to perceive the friction or tension between them as creativity in disguise. 
this shift in perspective changes everything. The greatest thinkers that have ever existed in history have always been incredible, critical thinkers who can see the shades of gray and color, and they embraced the tension of the opposites. They embraced paradox. They looked past black and white simplification into a world where seemingly contradictory forces could coexist together. For example, ancient Eastern mystical philosophy contains the concept of yin and yang, which describes how seemingly contrary forces are interconnected and interdependent in the natural world, giving rise to each other in turn. Yin and yang are not opposing forces, but they are complementary opposites that interact within a greater whole. Another example is the phrase, as above, so below, which is believed to have originated from the ancient hermetic text called the Emerald Tablet, which is said to have been written by the legendary figure Hermes Trismegistus. And the Emerald Tablet is a short text that contains esoteric teachings on alchemy and metaphysics, and the phrase, as above, so below, is one of its most famous and quoted lines. The idea behind this phrase is that the macrocosm, the universe, and the microcosm, which is us as human beings, are interconnected and reflect one another. It suggests that the same patterns and processes that occur in the universe also occur in human beings and vice versa. And in other words, the patterns of the universe can be found within ourselves by understanding ourselves, and we can gain a greater understanding of the universe. As you can see, throughout history, we are told in a variety of ways from ancient sources that we must embrace and integrate the ability to hold the tension of the opposites, to be able to understand that the good and the bad coexist, that we need to be able to see the shades of gray and embrace these opposites and learn to see it as a beautiful way of how life and existence perpetuates itself. Next time you find yourself feeling anxious over some perceived reality, really take notice of this. Ask yourself, are you making a logical leap that if X is true, then Y must be true? Are you boxing yourself or someone else in, into this all or nothing false dilemma, considering only two alternatives when there might be a variety and spectrum of options? Ignoring these seemingly contradictory aspects in order to create the illusion of a more manageable and simple life is very emotionally immature. And that's one of the things that really woke me up from this. I wanted to join the ranks of the world's greatest thinkers. I didn't want to feel like I was operating from the emotional maturity and the way of viewing reality as a child. And while it might seem like having this dualistic or polarized worldview is simpler and easier or more manageable, it's actually not. Because what it does is it causes us to see the world through a distorted lens. So the good news is that 
learning to see the shades of gray and dismantling splitting and black and white thinking behaviors can be taught and learned. And in psychology, this is also being referred to as developing a growth mindset. When we're stuck in patterns of black and white thinking or dichotomous thinking, this is what's known as a fixed mindset. And what we are aiming to achieve through this work is to develop a growth mindset. And when we're developing a growth mindset, the idea is that we can learn to view an effort, a new situation as a growth opportunity and not an opportunity for failure or embarrassment. I'd like to talk now about a few things that you can do in your life and things you can implement to start dismantling black and white thinking. The first thing you can do is really start to pay attention to the language that you use. How you talk with yourself as well as with other people has a really strong influence on the way that you feel. Words that express extreme feelings are typical of black and white thinking. So really start to tune in to whether you use phrases and words like everything, always, never, nothing, every time, best, worst, most beautiful, most terrible, everyone, none, that kind of thing. When I started tuning into this, I noticed how much I exaggerated. Ever since I've been little, I was labeled as the drama queen. And it was always kind of a running joke. But when I look back into it, I had these very extreme ways of being, thinking, and reacting from a very young age. And so I knew that I needed to start dismantling that. An important step is to just pay attention to your language and use fewer superlatives. And for my non-English and grammar geeks out there, superlatives are these like everything, always, best, worst, that kind of thing. So for example, are you really having the worst day of your life or are you just a little stressed out? Or are you absolutely sure that All women are only interested in your money? Do you really embrace the view that all men are just the same and they only want sex? It's harsh to believe those kinds of things. Think about that for a moment. Really let that sink in. Because many of us say this kind of shit all the time. And we'll laugh it off and it's perpetuated in our culture, but Saying things like this, even in a joking kind of way, is a really bad way to be training your brain. Splitting and dichotomous black and white thinking manifests primarily through our language, through the words we use. So from now on, try using less extreme words. You could say something like, I'm pretty stressed today and my day has been kind of a mix so far not quite sure how I'm feeling about it. It's something completely different than today is the most terrible day of my life. So another thing you can do is avoid generalization. So it's typical of black and white thinking when you infer everything else in your life from a perspective like failure, mistakes, or weaknesses. So let me give you an example. Maybe you made a mistake at work. You sent 
the wrong email to the wrong person. Maybe you've forgotten an appointment, accidentally deleted an important document, or lost your temper with a customer or client. Does that mean that you are a total piece of shit with a horrible work ethic, you never get anything right, and you're guaranteed to never get a raise or even a promotion, or maybe you'll even get fired? No. (laughs) Likely, that will not be the case. You made a mistake, just like every other person makes a mistake now and then. No more and no less. But if you tend to think in black and white, you're going to place your one mistake that you made above everything else you've ever done right. Another example. Imagine you met someone recently, you went on a first date, you thought it went really well, you really like the person, but it's been a few days, so you decide, "Mm, I'll just send them a text, and you don't get an answer. This is when the self-talk begins. You say things to yourself like, no wonder I'm not getting an answer. It's always the same shit. All men are the same. Or I'm sure I did something wrong again. I'm always saying the wrong thing. Or you'll tell yourself, I'll never find a partner and I'm going to be lonely for the rest of my life and I'll die alone. Do these thoughts correspond to reality? Of course they don't. You don't know why the other person didn't contact you, nor does it mean that you'll never fall in love or die alone. These thoughts are complete exaggerations. And the problem with these types of thoughts is that they feel so true at the moment. It feels true. You really believe it. I really empathize with that because I struggle still with this type of polarized thinking. The difference is is that I'm conscious of it now and I can catch myself quicker, but I still fall into this stuff all the time. It's really important to keep in mind that these are exaggerations and generalizations and develop the ability to start being conscious of when you're doing this and then take the seat of your higher awareness or maybe like your own inner parent and walk yourself through mentally and remind yourself that this is black and white thinking that you are exaggerating and generalizing. So another thing you can do is adopt another perspective. We often believe that things are the way that we see them. What you see is what you get, right? That's a famous phrase. The truth is though, is that every situation has multiple perspectives. So let's say for example, that your partner left you, you're hurt, you are heartbroken, disappointed, and you are suffering, maybe to the point where you're literally going, what is the point of living? I have been there. And you're extremely angry, maybe bitter, all of these just painful, overwhelming feelings. And all you want to do is just say, it's all this person's fault because they left me. But what if you saw the entire thing differently? You might be devastated and heartbroken, but you could be grateful for the time that you spent together. Think about the ways that you grew in that relationship and maybe start to become comfortable and familiar with the idea that maybe it just didn't work out for you both and that this breakup is a chance for you to learn and love yourself more and maybe grow and meet someone new, someone who might be 
better and more compatible for you. Both of these are two ways of looking at the same situation. And when we're thinking in black and white, it's extremely helpful to take a different perspective from time to time. Some examples of this and ways to do this, instead of judging yourself for failure and putting yourself down, you can ask yourself what you can learn from it. And when you make bad decisions or perpetuate some self-sabotaging behavior that you promised yourself you would stop, you can choose to become aware in that moment of how many good decisions that you've already made. And if someone criticizes you, remember all of those people who have said kind and loving things to you. It is incredibly common in our recovery journeys that we are really hard on ourselves. It can be so easy to slip up in whatever way that looks like for you. We all do it in different ways. We all have different coping mechanisms and ways we self-harm and self-sabotage. It is so easy to think, that's it. I'm back at square one. All of this was for nothing. I'm never going to be cured. I'm never going to heal myself. Fill in the blank. I've said this before on the podcast, so long-term listeners, this will not be new, but I want to remind anyone who's new listening and anyone who is a returning listener who needs to hear this again, you are never going back to the most unconscious version of yourself. No matter how many times you fall off the wagon, fuck up, or fall back into old patterns, you can never go back to that square one, completely unconscious, unaware version of yourself, even if you tried. You know what you know now. You are more conscious of these things, and that represents a huge step forward. You're never going back there. You're never going back to square one. You're here with me now, listening to my voice, and that means that you are moving forward. So never let your black and white thinking, your tendency to split, trick you into believing that you're back at square one or that you are completely unlovable or you are completely back where you started and all of your recovery progress means nothing because it's not true. You're never going back to that fully unconscious version of yourself. I know someone needs to hear this right now. And if that person is you, please let the knowledge of the truth of that statement sink into just the core of your spirit right now. The first thing you can really do to heal this tendency towards splitting behaviors and black and white thinking is to just become aware of it. You can't heal or change anything within yourself until you shine the light of conscious awareness on it. So it's time to ask yourself, where is polarized thinking showing up in your life right now? And how can you start to be mindful on a daily basis of any rigid or all or nothing thinking patterns that you display? Think about any tendency you might have to devalue people that you're hurt or angered by. Think about any times you displayed catastrophic thinking in the past. When you become aware of your own tendency to look at things in a black and white way, try expanding and adding more color. Try looking at the situation from a different perspective. 
ask yourself some questions around the situation that you are seeing as all good or all bad. When we stop thinking in terms of black and white, we can actually start making healthier decisions, not only in regard to others, but to ourselves. We can start to be kinder to ourselves, see ourselves in a truer and more realistic light. It really allows you to give yourself and other people a break. It's a really beautiful byproduct. When you start dismantling your tendency towards splitting and black and white thinking, it will have so many ripple effects in your life. I promise you that. People with low self-worth who have core wounds and beliefs that tell them deep down, you're a bad person. Nobody will ever love you. You aren't good enough. I know there are so many people listening right now that truly believe that and don't see themselves in a good light. And making mistakes can really bring that core shame to the surface, which basically says, see, this proves it. I am a mistake. Building self-worth involves ditching this black and white thinking and learning to begin to see that everyone makes mistakes. We're all human. Nobody's perfect. There are plenty of things that are amazing and lovable about you. You have a spectrum of beautiful colors. And as you truly get to know yourself on a deeper level, you can start to see and appreciate those colors, your own rainbow spectrum of being and emotion and accepting all of it as parts of you, your light, your dark, your shadows, all of it. When you start to do this work, you can begin to look at the world around you, the people around you, and actively practice seeing the world in the full spectrum of colors rather than this tendency towards polar opposites. There is so much good in the world and so much beauty, and there is also so much bad and plenty of darkness, but there is also everything in between and we need all of it for the full spectrum of human experience. Think about some of the worst things that you might have done and how in some of those times, it almost woke you up to the alert that you needed to grow and change something about yourself. And maybe through the work of changing and healing through that mistake, you have grown and transformed. This is what I mean by saying that there is value in the good and the bad. I want to provide you with the most profound example of this. Viktor Frankl was a psychiatrist and a Holocaust survivor who wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning, and it was based on his experiences as a Jew in Nazi death camps. And in his book, he describes how he was able to find beauty in his experience despite the unimaginable pain and suffering and the atrocities he witnessed and endured. Viktor Frankl's experience in the Nazi death camps led him to develop the concept of logotherapy, which is a form of therapy based on the belief that finding meaning and purpose in life is essential to human well-being. He believed that even in the most extreme circumstances, humans have the capacity to choose their responses to their situation and that finding meaning in one's suffering can help one endure and transcend it. 
And one of the ways that Viktor Frankl found beauty in his experience was by focusing on the small moments of kindness and compassion that he witnessed or experienced in the midst of the horrors of the Nazi death camps. He also found meaning in his suffering by using it as an opportunity to grow and develop as a person, to deepen his empathy and compassion for others, and to gain a greater experience for the value of human life. And in addition to this, Frankel's faith in something bigger than him and his belief in the ultimate goodness of humanity gave him hope and helped him to maintain a sense of purpose and meaning in the face of the most extreme adversity we could ever imagine, being a Jew in a Nazi internment camp. He saw beauty in the resilience and courage of his fellow prisoners, in their ability to support one another and to find moments of joy and connection, even in the darkest of circumstances. In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry? Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Frankel's ability to find beauty in his experience in these death camps was rooted in his belief in the power of meaning, purpose, and connection to sustain us in the face of even the darkest and most difficult of challenges. For anyone who struggles with black and white thinking, I cannot recommend Viktor Frankl's book, The Man's Search for Meaning, more highly. If you want to really blow apart your tendency for black and white thinking and splitting, read this book because you cannot read this man's experience and see the incredible transformation within him and not start to really look at your own life and your own struggles in a more realistic way. If he can choose to see the shades of color in such an extreme situation, surely you can do this in your own life as well. For myself, this podcast started because my partner approached me one day incredibly bravely and told me that he felt like he was struggling with emotionally abusive behavior for me. I wasn't conscious of this, but he felt as though he had to tiptoe around my extreme emotional reactions, my paranoid delusions, and my really distorted ways of thinking and behaving 
the way that I would just react emotionally in a knee-jerk way made him feel like he had to pick and choose what he could share with me. He couldn't show up as fully himself in our relationship. And he gave me somewhat of an ultimatum that he really loved me and he saw all the beautiful parts of me, but that this tendency that I had in the relationship was something that was a deal breaker for him. It really rattled me to my core because this is the first person that I had ever found who I felt like was a really good person for me. He wasn't perfect, but he was a good human being. And I knew that that was my aha, I am the problem moment that I have mentioned so much on this podcast. And if I wouldn't have had that really dark moment where for many days afterwards, I felt like the worst person. I felt like I could never find love, that I would always fuck every chance at love up that I got, and that it was hopeless. In the days following my partner saying that to me too, I also had feelings of, ugh, screw him. He could just If he can't love me the way I am, then he's not the one for me. This kind of stuff. But I had a really big epiphany, an awakening moment. And for some reason, something clicked in my mind and I decided that I did not want to continue perpetuating these distorted ways of thinking and behaving in my life anymore. And I wanted to grow. I wanted to change. I wanted to be different. And you can change, grow, and be new too. You can heal from the roots up too. As I said at the beginning of this episode, this podcast is about emotional alchemy, complete inner transformation. This is possible. If you find yourself looking at life through the lens of black and white, try switching to this colored lens and see the full spectrum. And as you do this work, you might start to see that even though your parents didn't give you what you needed, Maybe they did the best they could with what they had, and they did give you some things that are valuable in your life now. You might start to see that that ex-partner of yours that hurt you and broke your heart, maybe you had a lot of good times together, and that you learned some important lessons together, that you grew up together, and maybe that relationship wasn't a total waste. You might see that your boss is, yeah, a bit of a control freak and a micromanager, but there are also amazing, great things about your boss and maybe even your job. Maybe your house needs some repairs, but it's not a dump. It's a comfortable home and that you're grateful for a lot of aspects. You feel safe there. Maybe your best friend wasn't there for you that time you really needed her, but she's been there for you consistently most of the time. You might not be perfect, but you're pretty fucking smart. You're funny. You have a lot of great qualities and damn it, you are lovable. As you become more aware of these black and white, all or nothing thinking patterns in yourself and other people, you can start to really take this important step back, zooming out really, really far. And this will help you start bridging the gap between and living a much more colorful balanced and healthy and whole life. Imagine those Libra scales that I mentioned earlier in the episode. 
Imagine just taking some of those rocks on the scale that's completely on the ground, moving some of them over and seeing that scale even out into perfect balance. I read somewhere and it's escaping me now, but this therapist that I was reading an article by said, if someone cuts you off in traffic, they're just cutting off a random car, not you, because they have no idea who you are. So there's no reason to take it personally. When we personalize situations like this, which all of us do a lot of the time, it just makes us upset. But if we don't take it personally, it changes from this asshole that cut me off to a person that should potentially drive more safely in the future. When you start avoiding unnecessary catastrophizing, even though this can be really, really difficult when we're thinking about everything that's happening in our world right now, it's just very important to try not to slip into emotional reasoning. We're not perfect. There's going to be plenty of times where no matter how much work we do, our emotions can tend to override the logic and ability to see the gray areas. All of us can backslide and fall into old habits and patterns. The idea is to aim for progress, not perfection. If you can set yourself free from these unhelpful cognitive filters, you are going to experience exactly what I described as emotional alchemy, bringing together the split sides of your psyche into one balanced and cohesive whole. You can learn to join the ranks of some of the greatest thinkers and spiritual teachers of our time who knew how essential it was to view things in shades of gray, of seeing the macrocosm and the microcosm, all of it together, being capable of holding the tension of the opposites, I want that for myself, and I want that for you too. And everyone is capable of becoming more aware of their thinking patterns and making a conscious effort every day to start developing new ways, expanded ways of thinking and seeing the world, other people, and ourselves. I hope you've enjoyed this new and revamped splitting episode. It's been a long time coming. I hope for those of you who are long-term listeners and you are now hearing this new episode, that this has given you more to think about, that it has deepened and expanded your understanding of this concept and maybe served as a good reminder of some additional work you need to do when it comes to metacognition and thinking about your thinking. And for those of you who are new listeners, I really, really hope that this has been helpful for you too. This is a really good entry point into working on ourselves and moving through some of this harmful, self-destructive behavior and ways of thinking and being that can be a springboard for your recovery journey. All right, it is that time of the podcast where I'm going to take a listener voicemail. So this week's voicemail is from Charlie. Hi, Molly. My name is Charlie. I'm 22 years old and I'm calling you from Washington. 
your podcast has been such a shining light in my recovery. So thank you for providing such a wonderful resource and wonderful tool for healing. So previously you've done an episode with your partner Zaz and you talked about how you came across as emotionally abusive in your relationship and I am currently in a situation very similar to that where my partner has expressed to me that due to some of my tendencies with my borderline that I am coming across as emotionally abusive and that I am psychologically damaging him. And I don't know how to confront this. I feel so terrible and it's eating at my insides and even now I'm struggling not to cry as I as I talk. I just don't know how to go about confronting this situation. I'm not sure how to go about taking hold of my emotions and I'm trying to take responsibility for what I've done. I'm just dealing with a lot of shame and guilt over it and it's really eating at me. So if you could give some advice, I would be very appreciative. Thank you. Oh, Charlie, I could hear you like almost break down in tears right as you finished that voicemail. And I just wanted to reach out and give you a huge hug. So as we're at the end of this episode, you'll have already heard that I touched on this exact part of my life in this episode of Zaz telling me that he felt like he was struggling with what he perceived was emotionally abusive behavior from me. And looking at it now, I, I agree with him. Absolutely. I would have felt the same way in his shoes. And as you heard, Charlie, I went through the exact same kind of shame spirals as you seem to be going through now. I want to start with this. You are not a monster. You are a human being deserving of love who maybe was hurting and was acting out in ways that maybe served you in the past to protect you in the environments you grew up in, or you developed these behaviors and ways of thinking as a response to your childhood environment. And now you're just playing out these patterns again in your intimate relationships. And this is a really common thing. And it's a really good idea in moments like this to try your best to give yourself a little bit of love, grace, and compassion. You're not all bad. You are maybe acting out in ways that makes your relationship a little bit dramatic and chaotic, and you might be in a high conflict couple. Now here's where it gets tricky because I don't know you. I don't know your partner. I don't know the whole situation. And so whenever I give advice, I really like to preface that. I'm not a therapist. I'm not a doctor. I'm just a person that has been through a lot of shit, seen it all, done it all, and perpetuated a lot of these behaviors myself and started to move through them. And I can only use my own experience and what little I know that you've shared with me in this voicemail. But, you know, your partner said that you were psychologically damaging him. I want to reframe this because you and your partner are both adults. He doesn't have to stay in any situation where he feels like he's being psychologically damaged. And it's one thing if 
This is just being pointed out to you in a kind and loving way with the intention of wanting to make you aware of something that you maybe weren't aware of and wanting to grow as a partnership because that's how it was brought to me from Zaz. It was not an attack. And then I did not feel like he just kept using it against me and bringing it up. But I have been with partners in the past that have told me that I was the problem and they had no ability to actually even see into their own behavior too. So it's really important that you try to find yourself in a partnership where there is the desire to look into our shadows on both sides of the relationship because it takes two to tango, as they say. So I don't know your partner, but I'm just saying that if it becomes something that is used against you or he's saying things that's kind of saying like it's because you're a borderline and using kind of stigmatizing language to refer to things or you feel like you disclosing that you have some kind of psychiatric diagnosis is being used as a knife to twist in, I don't like that. I wouldn't want my sister or my friend to be going through that. And that would be something that I would want to just like say, keep your eye out for, but only, you know, your partner, you know, the tone that this was delivered, and then you know, what's being done and said after the fact. But what we definitely do on this podcast is we focus on ourselves, right? Because we can't change other people. We can't force other people to change how they view us. All we can do is focus on our own behavior. And so Charlie, for you, As I said, my advice from the bottom of my heart is just to cut yourself a little bit of slack, really embrace the lessons that especially you're learning from this podcast today. How can you really start cultivating a more complex and nuanced way of viewing yourself, other people, and the world? How can you start to find that balance of inner peace and becoming your own good enough parent? Tell yourself, you know, look, wow, this sucks. It is absolutely a horrible experience to have a partner that you love come to you and like say that the way that you're thinking, being, or behaving is psychologically damaging them. That hurts. That is like a a big ouchie, as they say. (laughs) It sucks. And it would make anyone feel like a piece of shit. So that's just like cut yourself some slack right there, right? And also you can start to see what are some other ways to view this? How can you develop a growth mindset through this? Wow, this is an opportunity for you and your partner to really get under the hood. Maybe you can listen to my episode from last week, that one about getting your needs met, right? You need to start understanding what your needs are, what his needs are, what are at the core of those needs? What are some things that you both do that maybe foster a sense of disconnection? Instead of saying you're psychologically damaging one another, what are some ways of being, thinking, and acting in this relationship that are causing disconnection, that are forcing the two of you apart from each other rather than bringing you together and understanding? Maybe this is an opportunity for you to really grow. It sure as hell was for me and Zaz. That was the pivotal turning point of our relationship. At that point, when he approached me in the similar way that your partner approached you, I was convinced that that was it. I think I even like the 
the day before that I had been like packing my shit and ready to leave. Like I was just, it was a nightmare. And now we've been together for just over four years now and it could not be any better. It is not perfect. We still get into moments where I feel emotionally dysregulated, but we are able to calm those moments, work together as a team and take the space that we need. And I can't even remember the last time that either one of us raised our voices at each other. This is possible. So how can you, Charlie, start seeing this as a growth opportunity? And as I mentioned before, only you know if this is maybe abusive behavior on your partner's part. Maybe he is like telling you you're crazy and convincing you that you're the problem when you're actually not. So I don't know. Only you will know. And when you listen to this, I know that you'll trust your own intuitive guidance, your own innermost wisdom, and you'll know what is right for you. My little sister said something to me very, very wise about, I'd say six years ago. Now I was living with a guy when I was living in London And he got incredibly physically abusive with me. He yelled and screamed at my sister. It was one of the most toxic and psychologically damaging relationships I've ever been in. And look, we, neither one of us were great with, with each other. I was at my most emotionally dysregulated, but at the end of the day, this person put their hands on me physically and I remember going to my little sister and saying, you know, what do I do? Should I leave him? Am I the problem? And she just looked me dead in the eye and said, you know what you need to do. You just want me to tell you, but you know. And I give this advice to so many of my friends and I'm giving it to you now, Charlie. The listeners of this podcast are incredibly self-aware and intuitive. And I know that after you listen to this episode and listen to my advice, you will take what resonates trust your own gut and move forward in a way that is good for you. So that's it for today. If you would like to have your question answered on the podcast, you can do that by going back from the borderline.com. You can also email me there too. If you're more comfortable emailing your question, because I can read them out as well. It's also a reminder that my premium submarines get their voicemails prioritized and on my stupid walk for my stupid mental health, which is my second private podcast for my premium submarines, you will actually have your voicemails played and responded to much more quickly on my second podcast, my stupid walk for my stupid mental health. We spend the first part of those episodes with me on a walk with my dog, Cody, just talking about some stuff that's going on in my life, maybe a quote or some in-depth recovery topic that's really inspiring me for the week. And we finish each of those episodes back at my desk where I respond to and answer questions from my premium submarines. And this is a difference between saying, for example, you put a voicemail through as a regular listener. You might hear your voicemail on the podcast in a few months where if you're a premium submarine, you send me a voicemail or email and I will read and respond to your question probably in a couple of weeks. So that's the difference. So if you'd like to join us, you can become a premium submarine by going to the link in the episode description or visiting backfromtheborderline.com. As I mentioned, premium subscribers get access to my stupid walk for my stupid mental health, 
four episodes of that per month. They get access to the monthly sonar system mailer, which is my newsletter that is just fabulous. And bragging rights as being part of the premium submarine family. So as always, I finish these episodes with a preview of this week's My Stupid Walk for My Stupid Mental Health. So you'll get a preview of this week's episode. It will fade out. And if you'd like to listen to the rest, you can subscribe by clicking the link in my bio. So with that, enjoy a preview of this week's My Stupid Walk for My Stupid Mental Health. What's up, everyone? We are on our stupid walk for our stupid mental health. I'm out here with Cody. It is a beautiful day. And I hadn't moved my body for this entire day. And you know what that means. I started to feel a little grouchy. I'm about a week away from PMS time. And actually, that means I'm fully in PMS. I'm about a week away from my period which means that I start to have those very familiar feelings and thoughts of exasperation and frustration that sometimes just, they aren't even logical, but that doesn't mean that they're not real. Now, if you hear an incredibly annoying, yappy-ass dog, that's, that's real life. We're here walking in my neighborhood, and I really wish that dog would understand that we're trying to record a podcast here. But I've been frustrated with myself the last few days because of my tendency to fall back into the same ways of thinking that have kept me so stuck in the past. And one of the ways that this manifests in my life is always feeling incredibly fucking overwhelmed. And look, on one hand, it makes perfect sense why I'm overwhelmed a lot of the time. I'm juggling a lot, just like many of us are. But I'm chronically exasperated and overwhelmed. And I tend to find myself complaining about that more than anything else. And this was happening so frequently that Zaz even pointed it out to me. And it's times like this that our partners can really come in handy because sometimes the people we love most can catch and pick up on behaviors and things that we do that we might not be conscious of. Because I would always feel stressed and just like anything else, I've said this before, but my old therapist Bev would tell me like assess your vulnerabilities, you know, like... By that, she means when you're starting to feel, quote unquote, overwhelmed, which I feel like is just my catch all emotion for just like, I'm not good. And I have neglected my needs and myself for so long that I've now gotten myself into this state that I have labeled as overwhelmed, which feels like I don't even know how to label my feelings, right? Zaz will just walk in the room and he knows like I'm not good. And if he asks, I'll probably like, I'm fine, but I'm not fine. Know what I'm saying? We've all been there. And I definitely know that this happens when I probably don't move my body. I haven't eaten anything all day. I haven't even maybe drank something. I'll get hyper-focused on a task. And then it leads me to sort of just be like one track minded and then everything else falls apart around me. And I haven't done anything else that day except that one hyper-focused task. And then I'm overwhelmed. 
I'm really curious if any of the rest of you have experienced something similar or know what I'm talking about because it's really hard to explain how this feels. And so as I've been thinking about this this week, because I'm even getting tired of myself, if any of you understand what I mean by this, like, you know, when you just are sick of hearing yourself talk about the same fucking thing, like I get tired when Zaz brought this up to me, how often I, I kind of say that I'm overwhelmed and I get myself worked up into this dysregulated, overwhelmed state because of all of these exact same things. I started noticing when I was doing it and I thought, oh my God, this is so boring. I'm literally just being a copy and paste person right now. And I talk about this concept a lot of like, as soon as you start kind of zooming in on some of your behaviors, you'll really quickly start to recognize like how fucking boring some of your patterns of behavior are. And by boring, I mean like so predictable, right? Like if you neglect yourself in the exact same way, like you're going to start feeling the same way, you're going to do the same self-destructive shit and it will just be like a loop. And so many of us are caught in these loops. So I was caught in this I'm overwhelmed loop because I would neglect myself, all my needs, and even just start falling into patterns of thinking of like, there's too much to do. There's so much like I can, there's only so many hours in a day, right? When in reality, if I completely changed the way I thought and thought there's only so many hours in a day, I can only get done what I need to get done on certain tasks, but I need to make sure that I move my body, feed my body, do my meditation and like actually maybe take a shower in the morning, do all my self care and then get the tasks that I can get done, done And then let that be enough instead of feeling like I constantly have this like made up taskmaster in my mind that's telling me that I'm never getting enough done. And also being a little child who just sits there for hours at a time, knowing that every time I do this and I don't move my body, don't feed my body, don't hydrate my body, don't take care of myself, that I end up feeling like a dysregulated, awful mess at the end of the day. I have to force myself to get up and move around a bit. And this might sound basic, but I just feel like a lot of us struggle with this. I can't be alone in this. And Zaz is someone who just, I consider to be, he's just well-balanced. He get, he'll always take his walk. He will always come down in the middle of the day to have something to eat. He's always tuning in to his needs And he won't let anyone get in the way between him and his basic core needs that he knows that he needs to do to feel psychologically good. He has these habits and routines. And these are very grounding and stabilizing. And I am just very much like a helter-skelter type person. And you can see that in the way that I get super overwhelmed and dysregulated. Now, another aspect of this that I unpacked even more is when I was thinking about my tendency to do this. It made me think about my childhood. And I thought, where have I heard this before? And now my mom was someone who worked really hard. She was an English teacher at a junior high school. And so before she retired, and I just remember my mom working so hard when I was little growing up. If she wasn't at work, which she would get up in the morning and they helped, both my parents had to be to school at school at like 7.30 in the morning. 7.30, be there, you know? And so that means that my parents woke up at like 5 and they had to be at school at 7.30 and 
then when my mom would get home, she was an English teacher. So her papers that she had to grade were like essays by students. So imagine like eight periods of students with like 15 to 25 kids in a class and all those papers. And then my mom also did like, she uh, directed the children's choir at our church for a number of years. And she also helped direct like the plays and musicals at the school that she worked at. And so I just remember my mom being so fucking overwhelmed, always stressed when she would cook dinner. She was just like always going like in a really stressed out, huffy mood. And to be fair, I would feel the same way if I was managing all that shit that she was managing with two kids. And I right now am in my thirties, have no kids. I work from home and I still feel overwhelmed, right? Granted, I'm working and I'm managing a podcast and I've got all my own shit too, but I have compassion for my mom because it was a lot. But what I'm saying is I just remember my mom being so tired, overwhelmed, and just exasperated that she just felt like it was just like there was no more of her to give. And not only that, my dad at the time, you know, both my parents have done a lot of growing and we've done a lot of talking. And so they're they're aware of all of this. It's not like I'm harboring any ill will towards my parents anymore at this point. I've moved through most of those feelings of anger and resentment now. But my dad also, you know, needed a lot of, there was a lot of emotional stress in our house. My dad's moods were explosive and reactive. And I can imagine that my mom felt like there weren't a lot of places for her emotions in our home. So not only was she balancing everything, feeling so overwhelmed and having no really safe way to express how she was feeling it would come out and just like I'm so overwhelmed and so I witnessed my mom for my whole childhood completely neglect her own needs and her own feelings and express this feeling of just like sighing and seeing seeming deeply just tired and exhausted of the human experience and so there was no energy for fun, bubbly, creative mom to come out. She was just exhausted and emotionally, you know, shut off. And so it made me think, are there any similarities in that behavior between me and my mom? And I recognized, oh my God, I do this. I go, (sighs) I sigh all the time. I act so exhausted and I completely neglect my needs by choice, sort of martyring myself, similar to how my mom did growing up. And then I act cold, distant, passive aggressive, etc. Right? This is how it works. And not only that, I'm reading a lot more about how people that chronically neglect their own needs sometimes they fall sick a lot. Like for example, they might struggle with recurring infections and things like this because when you're sick, your body forces you to slow down and cater to your needs. And my mom, ever since I have known, like my mom has a sinus infection once every three months or, you know, she's struggling with something, some kind of skin um, flare up. I just remember my mom struggling so much with like patches of inflamed red skin, reactions to things. 
lots of like autoimmune disturbance. And now, and myself, I had so many kidney infections, um, strep throat infections until I got my tonsils out, sinus infections, infections out the ass, crazy skin uh, eruptions and rashes. And it made me really think, this is why the power of looking back into your past and start picking apart some of this stuff can give rise to huge epiphanies for you. Because I can tell you what, this was all just this week. And I was like, holy shit, holy shit. I'm putting, I'm putting all these pieces together. And it blew my mind. I'm just perpetuating the exact same behavior as my mom. So if I had a kid tomorrow and I'm huffing and puffing around and I'm doing what I'm doing right now, you might, you might be listening, or your kid might be listening to my kid's podcast in fucking 20 years telling the world how I fucked them up. <laughs> you know what I mean? And my mom was just doing the best she could or what she thought she could at the time. She's not a villain. She's not good or bad. All right, everyone. That is it for the preview of this week's Stupid Walk for My Stupid Mental Health the rest of that episode you're going to hear the rest of my talk about the epiphanies i've had this week and then at the end i spend about 20 or 30 minutes answering some voicemails and emails from premium submarines just a reminder if you do sign up as a premium submarine your voicemails and emails get prioritized and so you will get answers to your questions a lot quicker you'll get my monthly newsletter and all sorts of goodies like that. So if you're interested in unlocking the rest of this episode and all the rest, you can do that by visiting backfromtheborderline.com or clicking the Patreon link in the episode description of this episode. I can't wait for you to become a premium submarine. But if not, you can support the podcast in other ways, like sharing the episode with a friend, with someone you love, somebody struggles with splitting that you know, share it. It's a great conversation starter. It's a way to help other people that you love understand the way that your brain works and the work you're trying to do. You can rate and review the podcast. You can follow the podcast on Instagram at Back From The Borderline. So whatever you'd like to do, your support means the world to me. I hope you have an amazing rest of your week and I can't wait to see you right back here next Tuesday. And remember, anyone even you can come back from the borderline. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Back from the Borderline. If you'd like to receive my monthly written recovery musings via Substack directly to your inbox, send me a voicemail, join the Patreon community, or check out my Amazon booklist recommendations, visit backfromtheborderline.com and click to access my link tree.